Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Queen Pod. We are on a mission to bring you a companion piece to the entire Queen back catalogue, track by track, album by album. And incredibly, the band are very kindly letting us play all their music, which makes us the only podcast on earth with Queen playing all the way through it. However, we do need your support, so if you are in a position to do that, kindly pop over to patreon.com forward slash queenpod to find out how. Over to you, Fred. Hello and welcome to the Queen Pod. Hashtag PQL, hashtag PQEL, which is play Queen extra loud because this is what you wanted. This is what you're going to get. We've got comedian and vocalist, Suze Kempner. Hello, Suze. Hello. Thank you very much. I'm very good, thank you. Uh, And we have the Queen, Mighty Queen filmmaker, Simon Lupton. Hello, sir. Hello, hello, hello. How are we all? Pretty good. I've got my uh, bathtub being re-enamelled at the moment. It's exciting days. Exciting days. It's a man called Milan. Is that a thing? Re-enamelling my bathtub. Milan the enamel. It is when the the flat above toilet leaked into your bathtub. Yeah. Uh, And we also have comedian and podcaster John Robbins. Hello, John. Hey, everyone. Look at that. We are Quarret, the full Queen Pod Quartet together for a whole episode of recording. And yes, because it's me as well, Rohana Chari, your host. And today we're talking about the Freddie Mercury tribute concert, which was 30 years ago today. Or it would have been if we'd thought to do this as our first episode of the series, which was actually released on the day of the 30th anniversary, <laughs> but we didn't get our together. So never mind. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do it now. <laughs> no, that's a good thing. It's still a 30-year anniversary. But before we get into all of that, listen, do any of us have a lovely Queen moment we'd like to share? We are the champions. We are the champions. Well, I don't think I've been on since I interviewed Brian for um, our podcast, How Do You Cope, which is uh, on Five Live. How did it go down? Uh, went down very well. Um, we had about an hour and a half with Brian, which was quite a, yeah quite an experience to talk to him for that long, and also to talk to him about some very personal uh, issues of his and how he sort of coped with uh, Freddie's death and his dad's death, which I didn't know until sort of researching it actually happened in the same year. And uh, just talking about what it's like to grieve in a very public way. Um, and he also spoke about... Uh, how difficult it was when John stepped back from the band, which, and I'd not really hear, heard him speak like that uh, mm-hmm. about John before. And also he talked about the therapy he got out in America and he was very, very candid about sort of the form that that therapy took. So it was 
it was a really you know fascinating conversation even if you're not a queen fan but for um mm-hmm. i think for people who might have consumed a lot of brian's interviews over the years there was an awful lot of new stuff in there so we mm. were very absolutely very pleased and uh very thankful for him for giving his time and his candor so that's available mm. wherever you get your podcasts from how do you yes. cope with ellis and john check it out certainly our um our the facebook listeners the uh queen facebook group they all went absolutely do lally over that interview and just how oh, great. beautiful and in-depth it was man so yeah congratulations amazing chat amazing chat um on a lighter note uh producer sam and i uh last week we went down to legoland together and uh, as we walked down towards miniland there were these giant easter you know those easter island rock heads mm-hmm. you know those things those big Stone, mm. they, they, they were like Lego ones, giant Lego ones of them, and you'll never believe what they were saying. They were singing "We Will Rock You." It was excellent. Wow. They had an accent and everything. It was an that was a, that was a moment. And then the other thing I wanted to just ask you guys is, you're all going to we're all going to see Queen and Adam Lambert pretty soon, right? I'm no, I'm going. I'm taking my sister yeah. on Sunday, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, so that's what four or five days away. When are you going, Suze? It late later. Later in the run. Lovely. Yeah, yeah, so in a couple later. of weeks. I was I was there last night. Yeah, exactly. Were you seeing Partridge? Watching or Alan Partridge. So it'll be was interesting it to see. He was really, really good, but I think the O2 is kind of <laughs> for comedy, so um I'm looking forward to seeing Queen little. there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's good if you're right up front like I saw Monty Yeah, I'm Python sure, there, right yeah. Up front. And Seinfeld, they, right he, up front as like well. they made amazing, good use. But... They they did the best they could with, but the venue ha- hampers comedy like yeah. that. Yeah, mm. yeah, but it is brilliant for Queen. Yeah. It is brilliant for Queen. How about you, John? Are you going along? You're going along next week sometime as well, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going. To, I'm actually going to see Partridge this Friday and ah. Queen um, <laughs> ne- a week today, next week. Ah. My God, you're you're doing an O three. <laughs> <laughs> They should have maybe double booked it and then Alan Partridge could have supported Queen. <laughs> done the it would have been a hell of a night, wouldn't I it? I bet he'd have loved that. Yeah. yeah. It would be great. And you'll just rock along whenever you fancy, right, Simon? You just got a free pass. Yeah, just, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know. So like just turning on the telly for you. <laughs> so have you, guys, have you guys looked at the set list at all or are you kind of keeping no. your eyes close to that? It's a secret. It's a secret. Yeah, I know, I'm not looking at it. I'm not looking at it. I I don't want to know. I want to know on the day, and I'm not looking at it. I was just curious if you guys were on the same wavelength as me. Yeah, I haven't looked. Oh. This, and this is going to be my first time ever seeing Queen live, so... I'm, uh, I'm so excited for you, I'm quite, I'm quite excited, I'm definitely, yeah. yeah it's going to be amazing. Who are you taking along with you? I'm going with my brother and my mum. <laughs> oh, that's great stuff. That's great stuff. Yeah, I'll be going... With my sister the first time, and then I'll be taking producer Sam along with me on the second one. Um, and uh, I have been keeping my eyes closed about it, but I, I folded last night, and I just had a little look at Brian's Instagram. And I, I don't do it. Don't do it, because I, I saw something so amazing. I'm going to leave it at that. So uh, <laughs> don't don't look at Brian's Instagram. Don't look at social media if you don't want to know until you've seen the gig. But I get the sense that it is absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. Good stuff. Yeah, can't wait. Can't wait. So given you haven't looked at the set list, are there any... Is there a, What's the one deep cut 
sort of track that you're secretly hoping that they will play that may not be mm. in the Nevermore. Nevermore. <laughs> they're not, they're not going to do it, but I want to hear Adam Lambert sing Nevermore because I think I'll oh, cry. They might play a strain of it. I feel like they've done that every now and then. They'll play a little strain of something. If they do, I'll do some good crying. Oh yeah, that's good stuff. What about you, Simon? Um, I it's not it's a bit of a deep cut, but no, I I'd love it if they did um, Lap of the Gods revisited because I've oh. never actually been there when they have, and I would love to woe la 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 with eighty thousand other people. So I feel hmm. like I've seen them do that live. I don't think. Did I they have. not do that with Paul Rogers? No, pretty sure they didn't. Yeah. Wow. They have done it live, but I've yeah. just never been there when they have, so I would like to join in. Oh, that would be so good. It's good. It's a good, good shout. John? Uh, I'd quite like to hear Adam Lambert singing Don't Try So Hard. Ooh. <gasps> that would be lovely. Yeah. I think lovely. He'd, he'd get his, uh, his pipes around that pretty well. Mm. That's another well-selected sad song, John. Bravo. <laughs> and... <laughs> I I, I want to hear them play Breakthrough so much. (laughs) Just so much. I think that's that's doable. That doesn't sound like a crazy uh, um, out out of left field choice. Yeah, it was a big hit for them. But they haven't played it. It's never been played live Mm. as far as I know. Mm. It wasn't on the tribute. I always thought it was on the tribute, but actually it's just Annie Lennox was dressed as breakthrough and that's oh yeah <laughs> that's she what's confused the, me yeah. she has the breakthrough eyes um oh. that roger's girlfriend was wearing on the music video um yes good well uh we'd also like to draw your attention to our lovely patreon group um uh, if you are interested in supporting us it, we need your help we need your help to keep making episodes so please do get involved go along to patreon.com forward slash queen pod and you can find out all about it uh, you can subscribe from as little as four pounds a month if you want to be a funster uh, you can go all the way up to bohemian if you uh, want extra treats but we get loads of treats for people we also have a button there where if you just want to make just a one-off, just chuck us a fiver or something as a one-off donation, you can do that. Um, and on this instance, I'm going to thank a couple of people who've done that um, because they've been brilliant. And um, uh, we'd like to thank uh, a couple of one-off donation uh, people. Uh, Tom Van Hemmert and Dara O'Halloran. Thank you for your lovely generosity. Thank you. Yes. Mm, thank yeah. you, guys. And the other thing I just wanted to let you guys know about is uh, there is a Queen Pod fan VIP box to uh, the O2 Queen and Adam Lambert gig on Friday the 17th of June. And the people organising that, shout out to Sarah and Katie, let's be honest, um, have very kindly uh, given us the last pair of 10 pairs uh, to offer to our Patreons. And we'll be doing a draw for that on this pod record next week i think what we'll do producer sam is if we keep it open till like midday on midday bst on wednesday the 8th of june uh, we will then do the draw as we record and um, announce the winner on the pod let them know and guess what you'll be along to see queen in a box on the 17th of june pretty good yes And the other thing is uh, we'll be doing a, the Podheads, our Podheads, our lovely Podheads are having a meet-up somewhere in Soho on the 18th of June, which producer Sam, uh, Simon and I will 
pop along to and say hi and meet everybody. I think there's a few people going. Again, you can find out about that uh, if you go along to the Queen Pod fan group Facebook page. Shall we talk about the Freddie Mercury tribute concert? Yeah. You know, it was held on the 20th of April, 1992, which was an Easter Monday. It was held at Wembley Stadium in London, and there was an audience of 72,000 people there. Simon, mm. do you have a little potted history, a little a little summation of caper that was going on with the tribute? Uh, yes, because I'd actually um, love to give you some context on this one, because actually the importance of this particular concert all stems... I think, from its context. Once the news of Freddie's tragic passing had broken, I think we all uh, expected there to be some kind of event to celebrate his life. And I have heard the band say that it was immediately in their minds to do so. However, it's fair to say that they were all in a state of deep shock. And so actually formalising some kind of plan was beyond them at that particular moment. Um And despite the initial outpouring of love and grief from around the world for the loss of Freddie, a portion of the British press, um, along with some politicians and social commentators, who quite frankly should have known better, Mm. very quickly started to shift the narrative to suggesting Freddie got what he deserved, that his choice of lifestyle was to blame. That point of view, uh, point of view seems almost laughable now, really. But it's important to remember that this was a time where So societal acceptance of homosexuality was in its infancy. And although progress had been made, um, the AIDS pandemic was certainly being used by the ignorant and the intolerant. It was being referred to as the gay plague and becoming infected was a death sentence for the vast majority. Consequently, the shame and stigma around AIDS was absolutely horrific. So despite the fact they were trying to come to terms with the loss of someone they regarded as a brother, a furious Brian and Roger were forced to publicly defend their friend. If you haven't seen it, I strongly recommend recommend a trip to the YouTube uh, to see their appearance on TVAM a week after Freddie's death, where you can see the raw emotion of what they were dealing with. They are incredible when you watch it. Um, another example of why we consider these guys to be heroes. Um, And you can see them speaking passionately, but as always, with amazing intelligence and sense. It really is quite an extraordinary piece of telly. Um, I remember it at the time, actually. Yeah, it's incredible. So although the idea of a concert was there, emotions were too raw to actually do anything about it until Roger finally decided to grab the bull by the horns and said, come on, we're actually going to do this. As well as being a celebration of Freddie's life and music, it was also going to be a very public statement that AIDS affects us all and is a universal issue, not a minority one. Roger started to draw up a list of names of guest singers and he and Jim Beach went to see promoter Harvey Goldsmith. When they said they wanted to book Wembley Stadium, Harvey asked, well, who's going to sing? Roger showed him the provisional list, to which the reply was, you're mad, you'll never get that lot. (laughs) Even Brian was sceptical, saying, well, if you can get them, I'll come. Um, So Roger started making calls. I I recall him saying that he tried Elton John first, as he knew he'd be a shoo-in, then David Bowie and so on. Of course, everyone approached said yes, and and while some were contacting Queen, asking to be part of it. Brian fully came on board and then the whole thing snowballed. When the tickets went on sale, they sold out in under six hours 
and that was before any of the guest names had actually been announced. On the day, the concert was, of course, an unparalleled success, reaching a global TV audience of a billion people. And its legacy? Well, statistics show that from 1992, there is a noticeable societal improvement of tolerance and acceptance for the gay community. Of course, that was down to many factors, and no one would suggest it was all because of this tribute concert. But there can be no doubt that the impact of Freddie's death and the very public support and commitment to their friend and AIDS awareness shown by Roger, Brian, John and Jim, particularly on that special night, played a significant role. On top of that... The Freddie Mercury tribute concert was a joyous occasion with an amazing lineup full of iconic performances, numerous backstage stories, and is a milestone event in the history of a certain band called Queen. Oh, Very good. nice one! Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. What what kind of life are you living where you could where you could ring Elton John because you know he's a show in? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah, you knew it. Well, we all knew he was going to turn up, and there's a great story, isn't there? Um, he he asked David Bowie, and David said, "Well, yeah, but who's going to sing Freddie's part?" And Roger suggested Annie Lennox. David, well, if you can get Annie, then I'll do it. So then he phoned Annie and said, wow. "David wants to sing with you." And Annie went, "Yeah, of course I will." So it's one of those things that just <laughs> built from there. But it's funny. It's amazing. I think it speaks to just how much respect Queen have amongst their peers. You know, it's it, it it's a lineup that arguably was sort of almost it was like a live aid gig in a way but a, it was a really select lineup <laughs> compared to, mm. compared to say live aid where everyone was on you know um and i don't think that gigs like that have really happened much since i know they had sort of live eight and things like that they've tried to do gigs like that but it's not like you know every time you know prince there was no prince tribute there was no david bowie tribute or george michael tribute you know all these people who've sadly passed on but mm. it was a thing and the other thing that um struck me from what you said was that that shift that billion people that watched the show and 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 were were all like on freddie's side and and opening their minds about the aids uh, epidemic and all of that that mm. that shift in public consciousness was palpable i think i i i know i remember seeing the difference almost overnight like within a week of those wearing ribbons going stop stop being assholes <laughs> to people mm. who are being assholes you know it was a very very potent moment i think in um in society <laughs> yeah i like i said i, I don't I, you can't say oh thanks to the concert everything changed but i i think we can't underestimate the role that that particularly freddie announcing that that is what he had died of mm. he could mm. easily have said it was pneumonia um yeah yeah but he didn't he chose to make it public and i remember at the time i'm pretty sure he was the first major british figure to do so i think the only I other person so. i was aware of at the time was was rock hudson mm. um and he'd sort of been outed rather than had sort of voluntarily voluntarily offered it so it was a significant yeah. event for sure yeah. yeah but of course you know, there were a lot of pioneers, you know, fighting for gay rights and so forth who'd been who'd been working hard for years before that that probably deserve more of the credit in terms of changing opinions, but we can't underestimate the importance of this. Yeah. Yeah, I just sort of remember 
Uh, was it the Brit Awards where Brian and Roger turned up and Brian went, oh, Roger's got something he'd like to say. And Roger's like, yeah, we're going to mm. have a party. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I just, again, everyone was like, what party? What party? And I was like, oh, I've got to, I've got to get there no matter what. I've got to get there no matter what. So mm. you guys, uh, where were you when the gig happened? How aware were you of it? You must have been super young, Suze. Yeah, I was seven uh, and I wasn't aware of it. Like, yeah, I came to the tribute concert a lot later. Yeah, I've actually only watched okay. it once before before we Have did this you? podcast. Yeah, mm. I watched it once on a friend's copy of it on. It must have been DVD. It can't have been video, but I was in my mid twenties and I watched it and went, "Yeah, that that will do." <laughs> I don't need to see it again. Um, so coming back to it for this was quite interesting. Uh, how about you, Simon? Where were you when it was happening? Yes, yeah, so I I too watched the um, that Brit Awards. And when Roger said, we're, we're going to have a party, and I immediately went, yes, brilliant. I'm going to be there. I have mm. to be there. And then he said the date. And I was like, ah, oh, that's the same date as my girlfriend's 21st birthday. And I that that was the, that was the so decision. So you broke up with her. <laughs> that did cross my mind. But... I didn't. So um, is that the girlfriend that ended up being your wife? I'm happy to say because I made I made the decision to to you know to stick with the girlfriend and I forego the opportunity and yes we are still married um, all this time. Oh, so it was a. It was a wise decision. I can allow that. I can allow that. You you, you made your commitment and when push comes to shove. You're committed to your spouse. Good for you, Simon. That's a great. Story. Yeah. The last, the last thing was that um, we spent the day in London, so I could see. I think there was a huge sort of like um, one of those big airships hovering over Wembley, and um, you could hear every now and again when the wind blew in the right direction, because uh, we weren't far. You could hear the strains of it. So it was oh, no. sort of torturing me slightly, but <laughs> I, I sort of take consolation of two things. Is one is it was clearly the right decision. Um, as I, I kind of feel I've made up for it since, but um, yeah. But and it, I don't know. There was a bit of me that I think would have found it very difficult to go. I think it would have. Uh, well, right, Ro, you you could probably say this because you were there, but it it, it was a quite an emotional thing to go to. I imagine. I'm not sure I would have coped with it that well. So what did you do on the 21st? But did you just sit with her in your flat and watch the Freddie Mercury tribute? <laughs> no. No, we, <laughs> we, went, we went to Kew Gardens. It was a lovely day. Oh, um, very nice. Uh, so you just taped it and watched it the next day or something? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. No, I devoured <laughs> it after the event, but, um, but yeah. I understand, because on the, on the day of the 2012 Olympics show jumping final... Uh, I watched it outside the stadium on a screen and it was annoying. <laughs> That's the same could... thing. Yeah, it was exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> I w- but I stood, sat outside the stadium and watched it on a screen and I thought, this is pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, John? You were pretty young as well, weren't you, fella? Uh, I would have been nine. Gosh. <sighs> And um, my journey into Queen was just beginning. So I think I was aware of it, but I don't know if I watched the whole thing. Was the whole thing broadcast live on the BBC from mm. start to finish? Because yeah. it must live have been like right. four yeah, or five two, hours yeah. programme. I would imagine I watched bits of it, but I, I have to say I was a bit young to have any sort of 
particular memories about um, the occasion of watching it, but it was all it was all very very new to me. The world of Queen. Wow. So when did you come to the tribute? When were you sort of? Do you kind of vaguely aware of? Like Sue's kind of knew that in the twenties she watched it that one time. Is it something that you? Well, I would have watched. I would have watched it at the time, um, but not sure. perhaps not all the way through. I don't know yeah. if, as a ten-year-old, yeah. you would sit down and watch four hours of TV without being distracted by something yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. But I had it on uh, VHS and okay. uh, watched it many times uh, over the you years. You did watch on it many that. times. Yeah, that's. I was wondering how often you might revisit a, a gig like that. Yeah. Um, well, yes, I. Um, so obviously I had a panic attack when the uh, gig was announced and I tried to get tickets and I couldn't get tickets and I tried to get permission from my parents and I couldn't get permission from my parents. And I was due to go, because I, I was a non-commissioned officer, guys, I was a non-commissioned officer in the uh, RAF CCF mm-hmm. uh, and I was due to do my glider training that week and uh, so I was all booked to go off to Somerset somewhere and learn how to get launched into the air without a parachute. And um, the Friday beforehand, a neighbour, this German kid who lived opposite Robin Vaughan Williams, who was the bass player in uh, my band, Blade, uh, he had a ticket to go. This is literally the Friday before the gig. He had a ticket to go, and for whatever reason, he couldn't. And so word got to Robin's mum. Robin's mum rang my mum. They had a conversation, and my mum said to me, "Would you like to go to see the Freddie Mercury tribute on Monday?" And she was, she was quite. She was like, "Oh God, you've got glider training, you've got this, you've got that. I don't know." And can we let you know? And I remember mum and dad having a chat about whether it was safe for me. To, I was seventeen, right? But I was a very young seventeen, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and um, pretty sheltered, you know. And I, uh, but uh, I made it happen, and I got the ticket for face value of whatever it was, £47.50, and uh, spoke to the glider training people, and they said, well, that's okay, you could just come on Tuesday and miss the first couple of days, we understand. Um, I failed the course, by the way, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was the only one not to get the glider license. Um, uh, and I think it was worth it, because, I, yeah, I found myself... Go to the Freddie Mercury tribute, and I was seventeen. And this is the thing I want to impress upon anyone that might know me, which is that was my first ever concert. Like I'd been to the Royal Albert Hall and seen some classical music. I'd seen some like um, I'd seen Ravi Shankar and stuff like that, but I'd never seen a pop act or a rock act play live. So my first ever experience of what a live gig is was the Freddie Mercury tribute and I think when that happens wow like I've I've been wondering why I I get so frustrated with audiences at other gigs like ever since I've just been like this you know why are people not standing up why are people not shouting more why because my (laughs) normal (laughs) is Freddie Mercury tribute status (laughs) and I just assume that that's what a normal gig is so everything else apart from a Queen gig as well but I mean you know I remember going to see uh, Queen um at the O2 uh, a few years ago with my sister and we were sort of middle middle back in the seats at the O2, and the audience around us weren't really standing up until towards the end, and I was just so 
bloody angry with them because you know <laughs> this gig that imprinted me on 17 at the age of 17 like we were stood up before anything even happened <laughs> so yeah I, i've got a very skewed idea of what a, what a, what a um a live gig is supposed to achieve um but yeah i was really really lucky uh to be there and um I was 17 and all I knew about live gigs is what I'd seen on Queen documentary videos. So I, I, I'd put on, <laughs> I was wearing a little Trilby, black Trilby hat with a, my AIDS ribbon in there, my AIDS awareness ribbon, my little red ribbon in the hat. And I had a giant blue rucksack with sandwiches and water and apples and stuff in it and different changes of clothes. <laughs> and I went there at nine in the morning to queue up with everybody for the whole day. I had a seat, like, <laughs> I had an assigned seat. I had no reason to queue up whatsoever. You know, the whole day we were all singing Queen songs. We were all doing AOs at each other. So by the time, you know, and that was just at our gate, right? There were just thousands of people at each gate around this uh, gorgeous stadium. And, and you, you know, you walk in and I sort of made my way up to my seats. But by the time we got in there, we, we'd all been singing Queen at the top of our voices all day. We were well warmed up, you know. But the it was the atmosphere of it that, that really struck me. Like I sat down, I'm on my own, uh, you know, I'm okay, I'm 17, but I'm still a pretty young kid. And there were these two girls, older women's, uh, I think they may, may have been in their 20s. They were sat next to me and they just went, oh, who are you with? And I was like, I'm, I'm on my own, actually. I've never really been to a gig before. They went, I will look after you. And it was, oh, thanks, you know. And that was the first time I was able to go, do, do you mind if I go to the loo? Would you look after my bag? <laughs> you know, I just stood outside, <laughs> not drinking water very much because I was busting and all that kind of stuff. I went through hell, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, and then, and, then, and then this gig absolutely kicked off. It was, it was an amazing amazing stroke of luck and amazing experience very very lucky and as emotional as it was i would say simon that it was more uplifting than absolutely anything as 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 heartbreaking as it was it was a powerful healing experience so yeah fantastic let's just talk a little bit about the acts that were on so for me a lot of these acts were all the acts that i was massively into like metallica and guns and roses and extreme they were all huge bands for me so this bill was like yeah, I mean, just incredible. Def Leppard, all that stuff. And I was like, a piggy, basically. How about you guys? Uh, how did you feel about the lineup? That's unbelievable. Big Sucuro fan. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> Absolutely amazing to finally see Zuccaro, um, uh on stage. Um, I mean, yeah, let's an, talk it's, about Zuccaro. It's, it, well, but it's an interesting mix because it's it's like. It's sort of a mixture of people who are sort of Queen adjacent, who are Queen fans. And there are a few sort of ones that you think, oh, what are they doing there? But mm. that's from like a, a 2022 perspective. Mm. And it's sort of like Seal was massive. Yeah. It's easy to forget how big Seal was. Mm. Like mm. he had a couple of songs that were just everywhere all the mm. time. Yeah, he had a moment. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's. I think it's important to look at the lineup with nineteen ninety two eyes. Mm. Um, but I do remember. I think it was in Jim Hutton's book, saying that he he felt some of Freddie's friends were overlooked, and some people that Freddie had worked with were overlooked. Um, 
Oh, well, I don't know whether they're overlooked. They may not have been able to make it, but sort of Montserrat Caballé is notable mm. by her absence. And yes, I think uh, a couple of people Freddie collaborated with who perhaps wouldn't have had the, the draw. Um, so like Peter Straker um, yeah. and a couple of others. But I think that's understandable. But I just I, I wonder why Montserrat Caballé wasn't there. I think that was a question. I don't that. For some reason, that rings a bell. Um, that that may have been a question going around on the day about whether she would be there or not. But I faintly, vaguely get the sense that she wasn't able to. I'm not sure that she wasn't necessarily invited, but I can't be sure about that. I can't be sure about that. Mm. But I think there was a an issue for her. But uh, that's a very, very vague memory. It's a instinct, not a not a fact. Um, <laughs> but yes, it would have been brilliant to see her. It would have been absolutely brilliant to see her. I think they they balance a bit like Live Aid did, uh, sort of having you know massive superstars, but also people with a personal connection to Queen. I think they uh, and to Freddie. I think they do that really well. Mm. Well, it was beautiful, wasn't it, that, that Ian Hunter actually appeared live specifically from Mot the Hoople and mm. um, and that that was a really emotional moment for all of them, where you had. David Bowie, Ian Hunter, you had uh, Mick Ronson was out there, and then Phil Collin from Def Leppard and um, Joe Elliott uh, grabbed them. So he said, Joe Elliott said, uh, doing all the young dudes was the best three minutes of my life in front of an audience, my favourite song in the world ever, with Queen as the backing band, fronted by Bowie, Hunter and Ronson. Phil... Uh, didn't want to do it. That's the Def Leppard guitarist, Phil Collin. I grabbed him by the ear like a headmaster, pulled him out on stage and said, you are doing this. And it was Ronson's last ever performance on stage. So a really magical thing for them on stage and a really magical thing for us, I think, uh, watching and in the audience as well. It's amazing. can find it that particular performance on a Mick Ronson album called Heaven and Hull um, and it was on the soundtrack to the 2018 film Beside Bowie the Mick Ronson story and my favorite thing was uh, just towards the end Ian Hunter just really goes for it um, and uh, you know it was just a really classy moment and uh, and right at the end he you know, when he's sort of going, you know, and all the young dudes, you that do this and you that do that. And then he just points down to the floor, you with the Freddie Mercury moustache. It's so cool. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a really good thing. A really good thing. Uh, yeah, so there was there were things like that, things like Tony Iommi turning up, really classy stuff. But I think you're right. I think acts like perhaps Lisa Stansfield and Paul Young and... Uh, Zuccaro and stuff we were like yeah hang on this isn't Guns N' Roses and Metallica this is <laughs> and Def Leppard this is uh, this is pop but uh, it was it was really good to have them there I think in lots of ways but I think the rock acts were the ones that were the standout for me certainly do you remember seeing um, Spinal Tap because they didn't make the DVD yeah I the saw sound the sound didn't work I think oh is that what happened mm-hmm. 
So, right. uh, I do remember that very much. So there's there's a few acts that didn't that, that you won't find. So I'll, I'll just whiz through what that was, and then we'll talk mm. about Spinal Tap because yes, I have seen Spinal Tap live. What an amazing mm-hmm. way to start your gigging career is just by seeing everybody so the most comprehensive release you can find of the freddie mercury tribute is the 2013 remaster but that doesn't include uh, a couple of songs by extreme they did love of my life and more than words right. uh def leppard played animal and let's get rocked so that that's not counted they they only had um, now i'm here is on that uh spinal tap uh were there i'll come back to that in a second you two and mango groove uh, came in by satellite. I vaguely remember Mango Groove, and like it was nice that U2 came, but it was like they didn't play a U2 song. <laughs> Sorry, they played a U2 song, they didn't play a Queen song. Um, and then uh, the other thing that's left out is Queen and Robert Plant's performance of Innuendo, which I'm sure we'll discuss. Um, but yeah, Spinal Tap were phenomenal. They came out, we were all going absolutely bananas. Like, this is Spinal Tap was. I, I, I was I was at the age where I was watching This Is Spinal Tap pretty much every day. So I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. So they all come out, they take their spot, and it is actually them. It's actually them. I couldn't believe it. Uh, and they're literally about to start, and the entire sound system blows. Oh. And they just stop. And you could just sort of start to feel everyone in the stadium start to giggle. Because we all just assumed it was a spinal a tap bit. gag. Right. And and Hubbins goes, this isn't a joke. <laughs> Our sound system is actually blown. And I, to this day, I still don't know whether that was just part of the joke or whether it really did blow. I think the reason they're not in, uh, able to be included on things is to do with some very specific copyright that Spinal Tap are under. Like, they have to do something with Spinal Tap every 10 years in order to keep hold of copyright, like they're, they're under a tremendous amount of licensing issues. So I think that's the reason they're not because they did sing, they did play, they did they did ultimately get their sound system up and running. And yeah, I saw Spinal Tap live, and they were awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so good, it was amazing. You know, and that was you know it's still daytime. That was in the afternoon. We're like, what is this? It's amazing. Mm. Yeah. That's the Spinal Tap story. Wow. There you go. Out um, the other pre-acts, um, Metallica, obviously, had come out and done... Uh, they did Enter Sandman, Sad But True, and Nothing Else Matters, which is all off the Black Album, which is huge. That had come out in August uh, 91, so... Well, they were one of the biggest the live acts in the world at that point, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, uh, yeah. So that must have been really amazing when like James Hetfield coming out and doing Stone Cold Crazy must have been incredible um yes because this they were a mega band they were a mega band yeah yeah in fact blade covered enter sandman in their one and only gig so i i I felt a deep connection a deep connection to metallica but you know they were the they were the first act brought out and they played these three songs all of which were huge they came out they played some metallica songs and left and we were like yeah but we're we're here to see queen (laughs) Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Here's some Queen, please. <laughs> you know, so every time it was on an in, you know, they, they were doing a change around or a turnaround, we'd be belting Queen away. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> what were the gaps in between performers like? Were they quite long? Because obviously at Live Aid, they had the rotating stage to make it really quick. How long were you waiting in between acts? Um, Probably... 
It's difficult to remember, really, because obviously you condense things in your mind. Mm. But we would have those videos and stuff, and then they would play music. So they would play Queen songs, so we would just be singing along. Right. So we were making stadium noise. And I think that's the one thing that I would say about the crowd, which is the stadium had... we became. It's really hard to explain. Uh, we were a single entity. The entire audience had like a we were a hive mind we we had our own personality and we made decisions as a creature as an entity <laughs> so for example uh, the show must go on had never been played live before but as an entity we decided that for the show must go on we must put our right hands into a fist and pump the air right through the chorus and we decided that on mass so that became that was the equivalent to the radio gaga hand claps or the we will rock you punches like the stadium as a whole decided we would do this um and so this and, and you know and, and you could feel it like anytime you made eye contact with anybody there would be a smile there would be a little twinkle in the eye there would be a, a note of sympathy and absolutely everyone was in the same. The only time I sort of felt Britain like that since then was around like the 2012 Olympics, where everyone was just being utterly lovely to each other, and <laughs> um, and it was like that in that stadium that day. So we were making these decisions on mass, and so yeah, we we were having a great old time between between the bands. And in fact, just before Liz Taylor came out. Uh, the everyone stood in the so I I was up on the Brian May side about a third of the way up the pitch and a, uh, and a, it, essentially in the middle rank so I had lovely seats I was in a good position uh, but everyone in the stands was really jealous of everyone on the pitch uh, and there came a moment it was just before Liz Taylor play uh, came out and did her speech where everyone in the stands started doing these Mexican waves. Have I told you about this? So we started we started doing Mexican waves, and we had decided as a stadium that we were going to break the world record of Mexican waves. There was no way we were going to stop. And so everyone on the pitch turned around and watched us for the first mm. time, which was awesome. <laughs> and, they would, and you would follow the cheer around the Mexican wave, and you could hear the pitch following the cheer around the Mexican and for the that in that moment the envy had gone the other way <laughs> like the stadium were getting you know the, the stars were getting a chance to go no we're we're here we're just as big a fan as you lot down there you know it was a really nice sort of vibe and then we had to stop because Liz Taylor had to come out and talk about shining lights crossing a land and all that and we we're like oh bloody hell Liz Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> you know and in fact another little moment that 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 isn't included in um and the current, she actually gets a little heckle. You'll find it on YouTube. And I th I think it was born of a frustration of, we were in the middle of something. What are you talking about? Because there's this moment where she goes, no, you shut up. And I can't I can't believe that you can get heckled in a stadium. But you can. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that little moment happened. And I think that's why it happened was because, yeah, we, we were busy having fun. It was great fun. It was great fun. Cool. So, should we talk a little bit about Extreme? Because for me, I think they stole the show. I've been doing all the talking. Why don't you guys uh, do some of the talking? How about we start with you, Simon? I mean, you you found out some interesting stuff just talking to the band about 
uh, extreme coming out and playing what they were like on the day, right? Yeah, I mean, I just it was um, it was a very brave choice because it really could have gone the other way, couldn't it? You know, the, the the fans were like, no, no, we're here to see Queen do Queen songs. We don't need you to do them. Thank you very much. Um, but actually, I suspect it's just what the crowd needed at the time was to to say yeah we're here to celebrate queen and their music um and and to celebrate freddie so it was it was a bold choice but one that completely paid off and has become one of the standout moments of of the night and they did it brilliantly you know the way they moved from one song to the next um really got everyone going um but yeah i i'm pretty sure the band were you know, as in extreme were nervous about how it was going to go down and, and whether the fans would go for it. But of course, I think the crowd were in party mood, so they just went for it. How about you, Suze? Did you, um, when the medley kicked in, did you kind of go, oh, yeah, okay, fair play? Did you know Extreme um, or were they faded yeah, into Yeah, I know, I know, I know who Extreme are. I'm just not that crazy about uh, the, a lot of the first half of the concert because mm. it's a lot of these um, voices that I would put in, like, the Roger-style voices. So, for me... Mm. Uh, there's just a lot of people who sound quite similar singing Queen and it made me, it just made me miss Freddie um, quite a lot. Uh, but so it for me, where James Hetfield coming out and doing Stoke or Crazy is brilliant. I was like, oh yeah, I'd run really fast to this. And then, um, but I thought it was absolutely incredible when Lisa Stansfield came out and did I want to break free. It, right. And that's the first time we see a female singer and I just think it's such an amazing cover and that was a really joyous moment that that was the first moment that felt like a genuine tribute to Freddie which was what the concert was
learned that day what a female voice can do with uh, Freddie's vocal lines, right? Mm, I mean, it yeah, it's quite cool. Really exciting to see that range. She has a great voice and a great pop voice, and it makes it like a different song, um, mm. and a and a really really cool tribute. So I love that, and I love like the curlers in her hair and stuff. But stuff like like uh, is it Gary Sharon singing Hammer yes, to Fall? Yes, Gary Sharon. I mean that, yeah, yeah. that must have been amazing to be in the crowd, mm. to and seeing Queen live for the first time in five years. But equally, I felt like he could have been Joe Elliott singing Hammer to Fall. Right. Well, um, the, the yeah. extreme medley was interesting for me because uh, you know they opened with Mustafa, which uh, Simon's little video revealed last year. Uh, he, he opened with his back to the audience because he was worried that no one would go for it. But of course, that's the other thing. Absolutely, everyone in the studio stu- stadium knew all of Queen. Like, mm. okay, maybe there was a small percentage that didn't, but essentially, <laughs> um, we all knew all of Queen. So. Not only could we sing it all, we could all sing it better than everyone on stage as well as we were concerned. So obviously, as soon as Mustafa goes, we go bananas because we all know it. So Mustafa, uh, the rock section from Bohemian Rhapsody, um, Keep Yourself Alive. We hadn't heard that live, um, or I certainly hadn't. Uh, uh, I Want to Break Free, uh, Fat Bottom Girls, Bicycle Race, Another One Bites the Dust. We Will Rock You Stone Cold Crazy and, uh, and Radio Gaga to finish. It was an incredible medley. And then they did, I think they did Love of My Life after that, um, uh, which is another huge sing-along. And like I say, we had, we'd had we been singing Queen all day. We'd been singing to Queen songs while we were in the stadium. And then Metallica came out and played three Metallica songs. And then Extreme came out and just play an absolute hammerload of Queen. And um, for the first time in my life, I'm seeing the Radio Gaga hand claps live with my own two eyes right. across the stadium. For the mm. first time in my life, I'm seeing the We Will Rock You... Uh, air, air, uh, air pumps, you know, uh, and it's such striking imagery. Like you, you just don't forget it. The first time you see that, like when you go uh, in a couple of weeks, Suze, and and you do look at the O2, you know, have a look around. <laughs> well, you will. You will automatically have a look around when those songs are playing, and you will just see that effect. And it's mm. it is a striking effect that you don't get from any other band. That is a mm-hmm. Queen thing. So mm. yeah, they were. A, absolutely uh electric they they supercharged the crowd with that medley there's no doubt about that um and love of my life was beautiful of course and then they sang more than words we all knew the words to that as well so mm-hmm. good old sing along which was kind of what we were there for we just wanted to sing as much as possible i think mm. right um you know and then you had these sort of interstitial videos that were really cool like there was a video uh, one of the early videos. This is just talk to your point, John, about what was happening between the the acts. So you'd have like a video of uh, "I Want It All," which the band had never played live before, but that it had been brilliantly edited footage. So it was almost like edited so that it would fit the words really well. So it was what a a live performance by Queen with Freddie of I Want It All might have been like you know what I mean these videos were really well produced really entertaining really good for singing along to so yeah there was a lot of that sort of stuff going on Um, I thought Def Leppard were good they were really good the main thing on Def Leppard I think was when uh, Now I'm Here kicked in and Brian came out and again once Brian you know 
like that speech that the three of them come just talking talking well that's so much to say but when that speech at the beginning with the three of them came out you know the response that john deacon got when he started speaking because he was obviously we knew he was the most uncomfortable to speak to us we all knew that the stadium knew that so this moment he spoke we were like extra responsive you could even see brian on stage like clapping him as he spoke you know <laughs> um and that that kind of stuff was really really special so yeah the the atmosphere of the gig itself was uh as much between the songs as it was the songs themselves there's no doubt about it so that's a very long answer to a very simple question john sorry <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if um because it is quite strange that you have quite a few bands at the start playing their own stuff but I wonder if it was like in order to secure certain acts you had to agree mm. to let them play a few of their own songs or whether it yeah. was yeah. or whether it was consciously like warming up the audience and the sound system without you know taking up space from the, the Queen back catalogue if anything went wrong well I you know, it started quite early in the afternoon. I think it was like four or five o'clock when the band started playing. I think, as I remember, I don't know. But, mm. uh, you know, it was certainly broad daylight. And I, I think that they were primarily warm-up acts. So, you know, you book, I don't know, Ugly Kid Joe to support Bon Jovi. They played three Ugly Kid Joe songs. And I think it was that sort of... Uh, I think that was the sort of vibe, but of course they were so excited about Queen, they were getting involved with Queen. Mm. But when they connected to Queen, they got a much better response. So the fact that Def Leppard did Now I'm Here, and we got to see, that was the first time we got to see Brian play live that day. And Mm. again, that's electric, right? So when Bob Geldof comes out and does this song Too Late God, it's not a song we know, Uh, it isn't a famous song of his, but he explains that it's a song he wrote with Freddie, and I haven't heard it since then. It's not been released as far as I know. We were the only people that he, you know, he shared this song that he'd written with Freddie with us. And that was precious. And also it was a total earworm. Like we could get the chorus really quickly. We were able to sing. And you can hear at the end of Bob Geldof, there's an enormous response from the crowd. It's really full of love. I think also, like, because of the length of the concert, it's just not realistic for Brian and Roger and John to play on every song no. throughout the whole day because they collapse. Yeah, yes. it'd be like if they played the whole of Live Aid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, which they should have done. I think it's also really interesting that you look at that lineup. It's a very heterosexual lineup. I think that I don't think that's a mis- you know by a coincidence or anything. I think that is very much sort of tapping into the AIDS effects us all. I mean, if you were thinking at the time that you're going to do a concert to raise AIDS awareness, you know, Metallica and Guns and Roses wouldn't necessarily be top of your list. 
but I think because they were, mm. I think it was all the more powerful for it. Yeah, and and things like I think it was um, since thirty years ago. Mm. It's a a very revolutionary show of allyship that wouldn't mm. have been seen before. Like even now, thirty years later, seeing these people like Axl Rose wearing an AIDS ribbon, that's amazing. Um, that's a bold choice. Uh, George Michael came out, I wrote it down, he said 14 million people a year will be infected with HIV a year and if you think they will all be gay people or drug addicts, you're lining up to be one of them, which is a really powerful and daring statement to confront people with the fact that this wasn't a disease that could only affect the other, um, which was because a commonly held bigotry throughout the 80s and into the 90s was that like it was a sinner's disease Mm. um, which we should never stop fighting against that stigma it's really disgusting treatment and education is so important and I I found that amazing that George Michael came out and said that and that it was part of the broadcast I think what an amazing show of allyship to have that yeah. yeah, as part of the show. I don't know. Were, were Elton and George Michael out at the time? I don't know if they don't were. I think so. I don't think they'd come out yet. Maybe Elton mm-hmm. had, but I'm not I sure. I think Elton had, but George certainly hadn't. I don't think right. at that point, no. You know, and I remember there being a fuss about that moment at the end of Bohemian Rhapsody where Axel and Elton put their arms around each other just to mm. sing the um, Anywhere the Wind Blows bit together and all of that. And, you know, like you say, yeah, seeing, you know... Uh, people like Axel Rose who'd maybe uh, been written off as um, not very sensitive to such issues, mm. you know, demonstrated how sensitive he was. You know, he was absolutely lovely. You know, there was a, I know that there was a bit of kerfuffle around him on the day, but, um, you know, it's like Freddie, the difference between who he is on stage and the, the person he really is, is mm. there's a gulf, you know, and I think that could be the same for all of these guys. I yeah, think I'm Guns sure. and Roses were a massive, massive deal. Uh, mm-hmm. They played as the sun started to set and all the lights really started to take effect. And obviously Paradise City is huge. They, I mean, they were incredibly tight. They were so loud. They were so strong. And they were such a huge band at the time, right? They were in their prime. They mm. all looked great. They were all right at the height of their careers. You know, Usual Illusions had come out and they were riding high and all of that. And they were just all over it. I mean, you know, Paradise City was epic. Um, and, and knocking on heaven's door, you know, it, it, you may think it feels a bit cheesy now, but at the time, it was huge. I mean, it got to number two in the charts. It was released as a single. And that, that moment when he goes, uh, give me a little reggae now, <laughs> you know, and it all goes full reggae. We were going bonkers. No, 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 And as a seventeen-year-old boy, I must—I must admit that I was uh, the uh, the backing singers Tracy and Roberta made a real impression on me. I think they took up a lot of my attention, but they were fantastic. They, it was because they were so cool, you know. They, and I hadn't seen anything like that. It gave it a whole new uh, feel to have yeah. these yeah. fantastic, like that's that's their job. Uh, 
though these two women that's their thing is to be backing singers and they really lifted everything i felt they did they sang brilliantly they were so cool they had these grins on their faces and you know that's the thing like you know if you think of guns and roses i think you think of an aggressive profile from appetite for destruction stuff but no they were lovely and water the mm. whole thing was warm yeah yeah mm-hmm. All right. Well, look. Let's let's get into the actual uh, tracks that uh, that people do um, do sing. Which were the highlight tracks for you, John? Um, I think. Well, it's somebody to love, isn't it? Mm. And um, <laughs> under pressure, because it, like Sue said, it it's like there's two halves to the gig, and I think Lisa Stansfield is the sort of the turning the point, <laughs> and so. You know, to go from under pressure to all the young dudes, and then um, David Bowie's slightly odd Lord's Prayer moment, which <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I wasn't into it. <laughs> I think Roger said, "I I'd, I wish he'd warned us." Right. But it's it's quite a David Bowie thing to do. It's quite sort of performative, quite theatrical, and quite confusing. Mm. So um, he maintains that he just decided to do that on the spur of the moment. Do you believe him? Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure you do decide to do stuff that um, that kind of tangential, even though that's not to say that for an awful lot of people that it, they might have found that very appropriate and very fitting yeah. and quite moving. Mm. But I don't think you just riff something like getting down on one knee and saying the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. Um, but then to go into that those three songs with George Michael, I think, you know, George Michael just, it doesn't steal the show. I don't think anyone steals the show, mm. but that's definitely the heart of the gig. Um, mm. 39 yeah. Days of Our Lives and Somebody to Love. And what a great three songs. Oh. Yeah. And yeah. so nice to have uh, 39, um, because that's, you know, it's quite a deep cut in mm. terms of the one billion people watching are concerned, even if it's not for big Queen fans in the audience. Mm. Don't you hear my And then, you know, how do you, how do you top that? Well, you have to go to Elton John and Axl Rose. It's really well yeah. worked out. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There was almost it was almost like so the feeling was like they were because of course they were our surrogate Freddies. Like now we are used to seeing Queen plus Paul Rogers or Queen plus Adam Lambert or Queen plus uh Jesse J or whatever. We've seen lots of Queen pluses. But at that time we'd never seen a Queen plus anyone. So uh there was a sort of you know, Bowie came on for a number of songs and it was almost our MC, almost our... He was our surrogate Freddie for, like, half an hour and then George picked up that baton and, and looked after us for another half hour and then Elton comes out and looks us, looks after us through to the end, you know. Um, and it was almost, you know, those three guys were, like, the MCs of the gig. And, and you know, you look at the status of those acts, you know, at the time, let alone now... You know, there was a real stamp of authenticity and approval from them being there. But they were so informal with us, so intimate with us, even in the stadium setting. Like, they spoke to us in a really 
affectionate, informal, personal way. Actually, it was it was very cool. It was very very cool. Yeah, I loved them. And also worth remembering that for the five live EP with George Michael and Lisa Stansfield gave Queen a very rare number one. Mm, absolutely. Mm. And and the video of George Michael rehearsing somebody to love has probably been watched more than the video of him performing somebody <laughs> to love. Oh, I've not seen that. I should what? Go find really that down. Cool. It's really really cool. What do you mean you haven't? It's impossible you haven't seen that. <laughs> I'm not brilliant it's, at but, YouTube. I should do more YouTubing. I should disappear. Well, maybe I must have seen it when I was younger. I just don't remember having. Watched well, it's it. sort of went, it's gone viral a number of times because okay. David Bowie is watching and Seal is. So all the other acts are like watching oh. him, and he just absolutely destroys the room with. His uh, rehearsal of Somebody to Love. It's amazing to watch. See, I, I hadn't clocked until that day how brilliant a vocalist George Michael was. Mm -hmm. I didn't know he was that, because he was just a pop singer, and Mm. I wasn't that into pop. And, you know, I certainly wasn't, you know, okay, I like a few Wham songs, but I'm not a Wham fan or anything, you know, and okay, I'd listen to Faith or whatever, but George Michael was a pop act to me, and it wasn't that big a deal. And, um, yeah, he came out and the socks off. (laughs) Suze is right that actually the pop singers are better at Freddie's range than the rock singers, because the rock singers just sort of growl it out mm. and it all does become quite muddy. It just sort of sounds quite similar. Whereas someone like Lisa Stansfield or Annie Lennox or even Seal and yeah. um, and George Michael and Elton John, who are in the main pop artists, mm. sure. are just much more expressive and have a much better, much cleaner range. And That's I think it. you need that for Freddie. Mm. Yeah, it's something that sets... Right. Uh, the pop singers apart from the rock singers is in rock well something that sets freddie aside from other rock singers is in rock it's not so much you sing with emotion you just sing with lots of grit and a lot of masculine energy and um what freddie was amazing at was what liza gives a master class at at the end which is acting through song which is something that's only thought of in musical theatre. I mean, musical theatre quite often gets reduced down to jazz hands and singing for no reason. Um, But what musical theatre actually is, is acting through song. It's a real art form. Liza does it brilliantly at the end of the concert. And Freddie used to do it, but we didn't even know it because he's Mm. just such a unique um, figure in rock music. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They're storytellers, actually, Mm. when they they sing their songs. And and I think you're probably right there, yeah. The, the the pop acts probably understood that better than maybe some of the others. Um, uh, and 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 you you do talk you, you well you mentioned Liza Minnelli and I don't think any of us knew that Liza Minnelli was going to right. turn up. I don't think she was on the poster as one of the mm-hmm. names because I remember being uh, like what Liza Minnelli and like <laughs> it's yeah seventeen. It was not like Liza. Minnelli, you know, I knew, I'd seen Cabaret or whatever, but I. You know, but I was I was aware that she was this, and I knew that Freddie loved Liza Minnelli, mm. and again, and anything that gave us that direct connection to Freddie, it was cherished. You know, mm-hmm. and the fact that she came and did that, her performance was extraordinary. Yes, yeah, she's so brilliant. 
that's the one moment that I think I felt certainly, and I feel like the whole stadium would have felt similar, which is, um, Brian said it actually on, on the night that Freddie would have loved that so much. Mm. You know, that would have been the moment that he's like, oh, you've got Liza to sing for, that's great. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, and there's that, uh, you know, she sings with, she, like, She's all, you know, even then she was a slightly, one of the slightly older, I mean, she looks amazing, but she's slightly yeah, she older at, um, yeah. and she was just so f- cool, she was so cool, as a as a presence, as a being, as a person, mm. the way she was with us. Um, Do you know that she, her and Freddie are the exact same age? Really? Yeah, born That's the exact awesome. same year, yeah. yeah. Right. I don't think I've ever seen or heard anything Liza Minnelli has done apart from... Uh, that song at the tribute concert. Oh, John, she's I'm going to send complete... you the best thing I've ever seen and, and it's going to blow your mind. She's <laughs> just like one of my weird cultural black spots. Like I've just never, I've just, I, I actually don't know really what she does. Or who she is. <laughs> Do you know she's Judy Garland's daughter? No, I didn't know You didn't that. know that? Oh wow. <laughs> I don't yeah. really know who Judy Garland is. Oh my she god! Was in, she, Have I you know heard she was of in, the Wizard of Oz? <laughs> yeah, she was in the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> is, is she an actress or a singer or both? She was a, a, a musical theatre performer, um, and she was in cabaret when she was twenty-five. The thing is, I was in cabaret, cabaret at school, and I still don't know. Who were you in cabaret? I was Herr Schultz. <laughs> <laughs> I was Fräulein Schneider. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, wait, well, no, hang on. You weren't Fräulein Jenny Bowles? Sally Bowles, John. Uh, oh, <laughs> sorry. Jenny Bowles is a friend of mine. Not <laughs> Fräulein Jenny Bowles because of Fräulein Sally Bowles. I was, yes. I, I, no, I wasn't Sally Bowles and, uh, because they were like, we're going to get you to play the Jewish woman. I'm like, great. But actually, she does have the best songs in the stage show. Fair enough. Well, that's fine. That's fine. But li- yeah, like Liza Minnelli. Famous. Have you not seen like Arrested Development, John? <laughs> no. <gasps> oh, oh, Liza Minnelli is one of the most underrated actors out there. Like her, she does nothing but amazing acting performances. She's she was an amazing singer, brilliant dancer, and unfortunately, she's sort of become a bit of a caricature in the last twenty years or so. But yeah, she's. And whose fault is that, Suze? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't do that. I don't do the thing because people all like do do her. They they perform as her like making out she's drunk and on drugs and stuff. And I'm like, no, don't. You want her serving in the chip shop and the Ruby Wax interview? It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Anyway, <laughs> I, I mean, you have gone viral as Liza Minnelli, to be fair. Yeah, delivering it's, Trump speeches is the sh- only way. It's the only way people could. So uh, consume <laughs> consume Trump's speeches but I love the ending the, the very end she just goes it, it's oh, in direct contrast to what Bowie did she just goes thanks Freddie we just wanted to wanted you to know we were thinking about you I yeah, think it's just gorgeous yeah. it's so mm, simple and that lovely was, yeah in case you were listening we just wanted to let you know we were thinking about you yeah and that's the line because obviously there were so many times where we would all just burst into floods of tears <laughs> but when she did that the you know if there was a roof on the stadium it would have been dusted <laughs> absolutely mm. dusted. and um and there was a vibe of the whole day that on some level we were like just projecting this out to freddie up above us right that he was looking over the whole thing and kind of smiling down on us and all the rest of it but the lights were pushing up the sound we were making were pushing up. we would just you know we we had this sense in that in that uh, stadium that we were we 
we were making we were creating a shaft of light that just went straight up to heaven, <laughs> so that heavy, you know, to reach Fred, and that we could be seen for miles around and heard from miles around. So very pleased to hear. Sad for you, Simon, but pleased for me <laughs> to hear that you were getting a few strains from it of it uh, a couple of miles down the road, which is great. But yeah, and and a lot of them tapped into it, but no one tapped into it quite like Liza did. Uh, she was yeah. extraordinary. She was breathtaking. Yeah, she's she's got that thing that Freddie had and that like Whitney Houston had, where you can be in a stadium and you can feel like they're singing just to you. And there weren't that many singers on that lineup because there aren't many singers like that. George Michael and Elton John probably come into that category. That people in yes. the stadium would have felt like they're singing just to me. Yes, absolutely. It was like it was like a gift for Fred. She her presence was like a gift for Freddie. But it was also like a gift from Freddie to us as well, mm. because it was such a particular Freddie act, a particular Freddie choice. Uh, yeah, just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Loved her to bits. Loved mm. her to bits. I've taken my vows, and my curtain You brought me fame and fortune and everything that goes with it, and we thank you all. tracks that we'd never heard live before uh on that day tracks like uh, the show must go on and i want it all and uh what were the other ones uh, innuendo obviously um i don't know if we'd even heard too much love would kill you live up till that point because brian's back to the light album had only just come out so uh it was really exciting for us when we, when we were hearing, you know, okay, like we all love heroes and it's really nice to hear heroes and it was a beautiful version of heroes, but it mm. was also like, yeah, but David, we're here for Queen. There was always that. Uh, but uh, one of the highlights of that, you know, these are the days of our lives. These tracks that had been on The Miracle in Innuendo, We'd never heard them live. No one had ever heard them live, and they yeah. were very exciting. Do, 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 do they stand out for you guys? Do you kind of respond to those? Well, I, I think uh, Elton John singing Show Must Go On is one of the highlights of the concert. Because mm. um, mm. He does kick <laughs> out of it, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, it's really, and he really feels it, and you can tell that's because it, that was Freddie and him were great friends. Um, so, yes, I think songs like that, it must have been incredibly exciting to see them live. Absolutely.
so many songs off innuendo feel like they should be in a big stadium they feel like they're on a huge scale so mm. to 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 see show must go on performed live it's almost like that song is fulfilling part of its potential Absolutely. i mean it, it, it sort of sounds like a live song on the album in a mad way mm. um, it was one take i think yeah. that's what adds to it yeah Jesus apparently Christ. he went in there and just did it in one take yeah mm. But also innuendo, they they have such a big scope, and it's partly down to the guitar tone in in places. But they they, they feel like they're recorded in an enormous room, or mm. so to to hear them. They, you don't you don't imagine them all in little sort of sound booths in a mm. small studio when you mm. listen to those songs. You you feel this this huge landscape. So it, mm. I think that's really great to see that live with a full band as well. Because I know they did it with him at the is it the Bolshoi Ballet. In '97, John's last appearance. Oh, that's did, with the, right. the Bejar Ballet. Bejar Ballet, yeah. sorry. Simon, we haven't heard from you uh, for a little while, and I feel like you're usually guaranteed to blow our minds. <laughs> Are you going to do that this week? Is it time for Simon Says? To blow your mind. Yes, we could do a little something. Um, I, I just thought it might be interesting to hear from Brian and Roger. Um, and I managed to find uh, an interview that they gave, I think it was probably just a couple of days, if not the day before the concert. Um, and they talk a little bit about uh, how they they sort of approached it in terms of who was going to be on the bill um, and what they were hoping the audience would get out of the show um, and what it meant for them. So if you're up for it, here's just under a couple of minutes of, of Brian and Roger talking just before the gig. We wanted it to be relevant to Freddie, so we've tended to to go for people who had some special feeling for Freddie or that Freddie had some special feeling for. There's a sort of feeling that it should revolve around his persona, his spirit, and um, and also, you know, people who have a, a certain weight in their own right, people who have yeah, I mean, great talent. Obviously, this is going out to so many countries around the world, so we had to think about, in a sort of cold way, really, in some ways, artists that would mean something to in almost every country that, that, that it's going out in. And so, and that, that was very difficult. Um, you know, it's not, not, not an easy situation to be, to be in. That's right. It is um, very, very global in a way, because, I mean... Yeah. Ow! Global. Yeah. Global's a nice yeah. word, isn't it? Yes. When Freddie died, it was just... Incredible. I think it brought home to us how big and how loved he was around the world because from every country in the world came these tributes. And so the concert does reflect that. You know, we have contributions from uh, America and England, Italy, Africa, even. It's very, um, very internationally oriented, as Freddie was. We do have a, a basic blueprint and, and, we, and we're getting quite, quite detailed on that. But we still want it to remain a surprise on the day. People know who's going to be on, and they know most of them. Mm. Um, but they don't know what they're going to do, and uh, I think that's uh, quite interesting that it that it unfolds as a as a bit of a surprise on the day. In a way, the concert is quite important for us because it's it's our way of saying goodbye to Freddie as well, and I think we need to do that before our minds can really move on. It's something which we had in our minds right from the point where he did die, and um, it's very hard to yeah. think on after that, isn't it? That's right. It's yeah. the only thing I can yeah. focus on at this moment is that day when it's over. There's a new world out there in some way. Wow. Not to just use this as an opportunity to plug the podcast it again, but if you want to sort of hear Brian's reflections of 
that moment onwards, hmm. how the end of... Because I did ask him, and I can't remember his exact response, but the come down from that concert as part of yeah, the grieving right. process must have been enormous. You know, it's it's a, it's weird enough stepping off stage after a gig or a tour, let alone stepping off stage after a goodbye that's taken up so much adrenaline and to not know what your future is. And I think that's why sort of, uh, you know, Back to the Light and Another World were sort of quite a big deal for, for Brian and obviously they're in his mind at the minute because they're re-releasing them. So, mm. um, yeah, do, do check that out if it you'd is, like to hear really his reflections. Brilliant. Such a great listen. As like a coping mechanism, the, the, the tribute concert is incredible. It must have given them such a sort of... Uh, welcome distraction but it's a distraction based around the thing you're trying to distract yourself from <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. well it's sort of what wakes are for isn't it you know the wake isn't mm. for the person it's for the people who are left behind and this was awake and it was awake in all the correct ways it was a celebration and everything and we did um yeah i, I noticed for example when we were chatting to spike the uh, uh, earlier this series that gig was a really potent event for spike you know there's a a shortcut for all of us those were there it was huge those who were watching on tv it was huge and for those on stage it was huge but all on the same level like there wasn't any more or less for anyone it was healing and painful and cheering and joyous all at the same time it was very special thing because freddie was so many things <laughs> you know and it, it really encompassed yeah. that um yeah really really powerful um i wanted to just quickly touch on just how bloody good uh brian roger and john are <laughs> like, oh. tracks yeah. that sort of delicately haven't necessarily been included uh so for example innuendo that was one of the tracks that we had not heard live before and okay robert was struggling a little bit but my god it's worth checking out on youtube because the way John and Roger doing the drums on something, you know, and 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 mm. Brian going mad on the guitar, they are incredible. And I found myself on this viewing watching John more than anyone else because his presence there is so precious, and uh, it's extraordinary how effortlessly he makes these amazing sounds with his bass guitar. And it's still the three of them being this engine. Okay, they had a huge sporting band this time, but um, that what an engine they were. What did you guys think about how the boys played? I think it's worth remembering that they were at the peak of their powers and hadn't performed for six years. Right, You know, right. this was literally their first gig back. Yeah. You know, they'd done solo bits, but on a very, but nothing approaching this scale. And... You know, if they were the biggest band in the world in 1986, then they were certainly the biggest band in the world in sort of people's imaginations around 91 because of the publicity of Freddie's death. Mm. So the pressure on them must have been amazing. And without that sort of, like they said about Live Aid, was, wasn't that stressful because they were so gig fit because they'd just been playing and playing and playing and playing. But, you know, I would I know what it's like and Suze knows what it's like to do even a new material night after a week's holiday. Yeah. You suddenly right. think, oh, I can't do stand-up anymore. Mm. I have no idea wow. what everyone's just going to stare at me. So the idea that you'll return to sort of 
live performance is Wembley Stadium with 72,000 people and a billion people watching on telly. Mm, I mean, they are the greatest icons <laughs> of music in yeah. music oh my history. God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they it really, scores, it really, yeah. Um, the, the, the thing that made me go, oh, look at these guys. They're, they're such a... I mean, this is going to sound like a really stupid comment, but they're such a good band. They're such great musicians as a group that they can just comfortably back up all these different singers because you need you need like 20 plus singers to make one Freddie Mercury it turns out um and it was 39 it was it was when they did 39 which George Michael says oh I used to busk this on the underground when I was 15 which I thought was so lovely yes um yeah and they just all come forward and he George Michael brings a really wonderful youth sound to 39 which is gorgeous but it's all just so lo-fi uh you've got just john on his bass brian on guitar roger on tambourine and they don't do the whole song they sort of do a verse and chorus uh treatment of it and it, it like that must have felt just for a moment for everyone in the crowd like they were in a small room and there were 15 of them just watching this amazing quartet do absolutely this great song absolutely and not only that I think we were all like, we'll just carry on with George then. Like, there's no need to... Like, mm. I think that whole crowd would have been perfectly happy for Queen to continue with George Michael as the lead right. singer mm. of Queen. Like, it was such an obvious fit, you know, because part of us were going, well, how are Queen going to go on? Like, there was always part of the mm. thing, you know, how are Queen going to go on? They're going to have to get a new singer. You know, other rock bands had lost uh, lead singers in the past and replaced them. So that was a big part of it. And we were like, yeah, well, it's George. George has got to do it. He was mm. incredible. He was absolutely incredible. Yeah. So I'm going to now ask each of you, uh, what is your Queen de la Queen from the Freddie Mercury tribute? Which, which one song do you feel really pops for you out of the entire gig that makes you go, oh, hell yeah. That one, please. Suze I mean it's an obvious choice for me as somebody to love but I think that's the obvious choice <laughs> Great and how about you Mr Lupton are you able to pick one? No of course I'm sorry when I ask you these questions No I mean I, I, so I'm, with, I'm with arbitrarily. Sue <laughs> I'm with Sue I think, I think somebody to love is it, yeah, is the standout moment it's sort of it, it's like when you talk about Live Aid, Queen were the standout act. It's just indisputable. It's the same with that moment. But I have to say, I do love that moment when in Bohemian Rhapsody, after the operatic section, when yes. Axl Rose just explodes onto the stage. And when you yes. know the, the, the story around that, that no one knew if he was actually going to do it, it just makes that moment even more yes. you know, incredible. So that's another real sort of treat for me. But yeah, somebody, yeah George absolutely somebody smashed it on the day. Yeah, no question. Yeah. Same for you, John. Well, just for balance, I'm going to go for We Are the Champions. Mm. I'm glad uh, you've that, said that. 
that moment at the end when everyone comes together and it's so reminiscent of Live Aid when everyone's uh, together at the end of Live Aid mm. um, singing the, uh, well, Freddie sort of doing his best to pretend he knows the lyrics to um, the, uh, oh, do yeah. they know it's Christmas? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's just giggling away, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, just... <laughs> Tell he's never listened to it. (laughs) (laughs) But he's having a great time with all of his books. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And also for for Liza Minnelli's performance, which is the only Liza Minnelli performance I've ever seen (laughs) and will live long in my memory. I mean, I've been flicking through. Obviously, I love all of it. And I think, if I'm really honest, in my heart of hearts, it's probably the extreme medley (laughs) because it it had such a potent effect on all of us. Uh, and it really got to the heart of what the whole day was about for us. But Brian, Roger and John weren't in that, so I'm not going to pick it. So um, um, I think I think I'm also going to go for We Are The Champions, actually, John. And the reason for that is it's the moment where all of them were out there, including Liza, and it's sort of the enduring memory. And oddly, We Are The Champions is not the song that you... You know, once We Will Rock You kicks in, like, it's really exciting to see Actor Rose sing We Will Rock You, but the gig's coming to an end, and you're like, oh, no, the gig's coming to... Uh, but We Are The Champions, that's the one time where it all just soared, and, and it felt like we transcended everything. Like, we, we became something else, just this whole uh, uh, stadium of people and lights and sound and these amazing musicians... Uh, yeah, that was extraordinary. Um, and out of the George Michael set, it was 39 that really hit home for me. So, yeah, I'm going We Are The Champions. So it's two for We Are The Champions, and two for Somebody To Love. Um, but we're not actually putting them in the Queen to Queen because it's not an official album, is it? So that's fine. <laughs> Just leave it at that, I think. <laughs> leave it at that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's us talking about the Freddie Mercury tribute. Anyone got anything else to say about any of it? I was just going to... So it might be nice to ask if anyone's, if anyone of the listeners have any memories of going, because I really like those little sort of details and anecdotes that you had about the day and meeting people mm. and stuff. So it might be nice to read yeah. some of those if we get them. That's such a good shout, John. Yes, please do send your little, um, like if you've got little stories, if you're there on the day or you remember, you know, watching it in your lounge that Easter Monday or something and little potent memories, please email them to queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. We're doing a fan special for our final episode of the season, so we'll be looking for loads of questions and, uh, you know, little statements of how much you love Queen. We'll be looking to include all of that stuff. Record it as a little audio and we'll play it in on the pod. Um, But, yeah, we'd love to hear any stories that you have. Uh, go along to patreon.com forward slash queen pod to see if you can get hold of a pair of tickets to see queen live why not and um, uh, take the time to give us a star rating on your podcast platform we need that you know little reviews uh, and uh, you can uh, get involved on our social media at the queen pod on twitter facebook and instagram that's pretty good isn't it it is goodbye from me rowan acharya it's goodbye from suze kempner john robbins simon upton and producer sam goodbye this has been the queen pod seven seas films production edited and produced by me sam easton Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and stay in touch by emailing queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com Thanks for listening and see you next time.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.